This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. People who enjoy traveling will tell you that when and if they have kids, they want to share that experience with their children. Traveling together as a family allows time to bond, remove from daily routines, gives families a chance to make happy memories, and shows children that there are places and people different from what they're used to. With that said, traveling with small children is never straightforward. And if a child has a disability, whether it's physical or mental, those challenges around traveling go up exponentially. Parents often fear judgment from other travelers or worry that they and their children won't be adequately accommodated on flights or at hotels and attractions. But the travel industry is gradually evolving to be more disability inclusive. Today, we discuss accessible travel. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joetha Gupta. I'm your host. Of course, it's great to be with you today. My guest today is Dawn Barclay. Dawn is the author of a forthcoming book, Traveling Different, Vacation Strategies for Parents of the Anxious, the inflexible, and the neurodiverse. Dawn, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And you took many of my points and put them in your intro. So I hope there's something (laughs) left for me to say. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about when and where your love for travel comes from. I grew up the daughter of two travel entrepreneurs. They, uh, my father, since he's been in this country, because he came from England, Uh, he worked for National Airlines and uh, he worked for Cunard and he opened up his own travel agency back in the 60s uh, with my mom, who was working in travel as well. And so they opened up a big travel agency in Manhattan and then later in life developed a sideline, which was short-term apartment rentals uh, and villa rentals in Europe, which predated all of the Airbnb and VRBO and companies. Anyway, I grew up into that family. I was traveling since I was about two and I never pictured a life that wouldn't have travel. Hmm. How did having kids change traveling for you? It pretty much put a stumbling block in it. I gotta (laughs) tell you, I had been writing for several travel magazines by the time I had kids and I'd been working in the industry. Uh, in different facets of the travel industry. And when I had children, uh, they proved less excited about traveling than I was. Uh, And they were definitely anxious and inflexible. And I started researching this book back then because I was of a mind that there should be a book for every problem I might encounter in life. And there wasn't one for this. Mm. And the book is really interesting. It's chock full of resources and tips and tricks. And you've got a lot of parents weighing in with their experiences of traveling with kids who are anxious, neurodivergent, or um, otherwise dealing with um, you know, mental health issues. What was your research process like for the book? Well, that was the thing. When I started researching it back in the early 2000s, I spoke to Dr. Tony Atwood, who's very big in autism circles. And I spoke to Dr. Ellen Littman, who's very well known for ADHD. And then I kind of hit a stumbling block because I didn't know where to go. And I honestly didn't know as much about publishing as I do now. 
because in between then and now I've written a bunch of fiction books. So anyway, I didn't know where to go for more interviews. And it wasn't until I discovered that a group called IBCCES had created a designation called the uh, Certified Autism Travel Professional that I knew how to write the book because those uh, travel professionals have had intense training on how to work with people on the spectrum and with other invisible disabilities. And many of them are special needs parents themselves, and they were very forthcoming with me. So I was able to ask them a set of initial questions and keep going back to them for more and more delve deeper. And many of them introduced me to their clients. Uh, so I was able to speak to those families. And quite honestly, by 2018, 2019, uh, there was a lot more on the internet than there had been back in the early 2000s. Mm. So I had more of a roadmap of how to uh, research this. If one of the things that I really loved about the book were all the first person accounts from parents. What do you think that brings to the conversation? Well, I think what was really great was that so many of these parents were willing to talk about what they did wrong and what they learned, because I think we learn a lot it's much more relatable to hear someone say, you know, I found out that, you know, they don't serve ice cream at Disney at nine, you have to wait till 10. And, and my kid went into a total meltdown and I was able to call my travel agent back in uh, New York. And she told me where in the park to go for him to decompress. I mean, if he could have just said, oh, we just go to a place in the park to decompress. That's not going to be as dramatic or as interesting for the reader. So I really like the fact that people were open about what went wrong. I mean, I'm the first to tell you these tips are great. I didn't do any of them because I didn't know to do them. So as I was writing, I was like, wow, that would have been a great thing to do. <laughs> Definitely not my story. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the meltdown. And I think one of the things you say in the book is the fear of judgment from parents thinking that they will be judged if their child has a meltdown in an airport or at a restaurant. How much of a factor is the fear of judgment, do you think? Huge. I mean, IBCCES did a survey of a thousand special needs parents and 87% of them said they would, they don't travel. Of those 93% said that they would, if they knew where to go and what to do. And when I interviewed um, the people who appear in the book, most of them said that that's either what stopped them from traveling or what stops their clients from traveling. They're so frightened that people are going to judge them as parents or judge their children for doing nothing more than becoming overwhelmed by stimuli that were out of their control. So a lot of this book is dedicated to warding off those uh, meltdowns before they happen. Hmm. And you mentioned a few minutes ago that there is a lot of training that's available now for travel and tourism professionals. What goes into that training? You know, it's a very intense uh intense set of uh, lessons. I can talk about for the travel agents to become a certified autism travel professional. They go through uh, 10 different modules that go into learning about the target market, understanding sensory awareness, understanding travel from both the individuals and the parents' perspective. And then they go into a deep dive on resorts, air, cruise, and road travel. Uh, and I've tried to take that and include as much as I can from their point of view and, you know, what they had to say. And then they combined it with their own personal experiences. I know um, the places that get 
trained for like the venues, the museums and the theme parks and the hotels that go through this kind of training have a whole different set of um, standards and they have to go through not only training, but continuing education as well to be able to renew their certifications. And not only does IBCCES do the training and that stands for, um, uh, sorry, the International Board of Credentialing and Continuing Education Standards. They credential both the autism, the certified autism travel professional as well as the certified autism centers. Uh, but there are other groups that are doing training as well. Champion Autism Network, uh, which works down in, I believe, South Carolina, and they've done a lot in Myrtle Beach for the um, for this, the different places that are certified. There's Culture City. Uh, they've just certified Carnival Cruise Lines as sensory inclusive. Um, sensory City. There's um, a bunch of different training companies that are coming out. I think that... Uh, also, Autism Speaks told me that they were going to start certifying, but I haven't gotten them to pin down what that's going to look like yet. Uh, so again, the standards are all different, and that's why it's so important, and I do emphasize this in the book, that if you're going to go to a place that I've mentioned as either certified autism center or an autism-friendly venue, call that venue ahead of time and ask how they got their training, what their training consists of, and make sure that it's right for your child since every child on the spectrum is different. And also make sure that whatever they offer is available when you're gonna be in town because there are some museums that do a sensory afternoon one day a month, it might not be the Saturday you're in town. Hmm. You mentioned autism friendly and autism certified. Some people may think that refers to the same thing. What's the difference? Well. Again, that's why it's all different. So if something's a certified autism center, they've been certified by uh, IBCCES. If something is CAN certified, they've been certified by the Champion Autism Network. And again, because the training is different, one would think that it's uh, consistent throughout. So everything that's a CAC have the same training, but then there are just places that call themselves autism friendly. And that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different suppliers. And you really have to pin them down as to what that means. Because anybody can say they're autism friendly, that doesn't mean they truly understand. The places that I've listed in the book were recommended by people who had been there. Hmm. Let's take a look at Canada because that's where we're at. How is it in Canada if you uh, were to look at some of the venues, attractions and modes of transportation that you cover in the book? How are we doing in Canada in terms of being either autism certified or even autism friendly? I think you're doing pretty well because I think that the between the US, Canada and the UK, I think that there's where you're going to have uh, the majority of the places that have been certified. I'll be honest, most of the book covers U.S. destinations, but of the ones that are outside the U.S., I think Canada has the lion's share. Mm. One of the things that I liked about the book when I was reading it is, as I said, you, you talk about the modes of transport, you talk about hotels, you talk about attractions, lots of things in the book. But even before you set out to travel, you have a number of tips and tricks for how to actually get your child invested in the holiday or in the vacation? How important is it to plan even before you hit the road? 
I think that's the most important part because children crave predictability and routine, whether or not they're on the spectrum, but more so if they're on the spectrum. So it's your job to make the unfamiliar familiar to them. And the way you can do that is by introducing the concept of travel way ahead of time. And some of the tricks for doing that could be having uh, reading to the child some picture books that uh, have their favorite characters in travel situations. You can take advantage of the technology that's available today to be able to show videos of every portion of that trip, either from the supplier or on YouTube. You can use social stories, which are a technique of narrative that uh, I explain in the book, but are offered by in a book by someone called Carol Gray, who is an autism specialist. Uh, and I also talk about role play, and many experiences. So for example, before you take a long camping trip, put a tent in the backyard and try it in a small scale. Before you take a cruise, maybe take a, a short ferry ride or just introduce the child to what it's going to be like. And before you go on an expensive hotel stay, maybe spend an evening at a friend or relative's house so you can see right away where the triggers are gonna be. Uh, for your child sleeping in a room that's not his or her own. The baby steps, right? One of the things I found with traveling is that you can plan all you like, but your flight's going to get canceled. You'll be on a road trip and you'll get that flat tire and your train will inevitably come in late. What do you do when the best laid plans don't work out? How do you negotiate those changing situations with a child who might be on the spectrum or might uh, be neurodiverse? I think you have to... Uh again, as part of your preparation, indicate what are going to be the possible problems. First of all, for your car, you can, you should go and do some preliminary um, checkups to make sure that your car is in the best condition it can be so you don't have that problem. Uh, but yeah, you're going to have delays. And some of the ways you, you can preview that for your child by saying, this is what could happen Let's talk about what we'll do in this situation, such as if the plane's delayed, what movie should we have on our iPad or on our electronics just for that situation? Or bring along some small gifts that are uh, wrapped and surprises for the child that you're going to take out if there's a delay. You can have others that are scheduled during the trip, but maybe you just have some pre-designated things that you're going to do in this case, and you've talked to the child about them. Hmm. Do you think that travel is a two-way street? I think you'd agree with me that it can be enriching for families and for families with kids with disabilities travel. Is it also enriching for the world to encounter disability in the people that, you know, you because people may not always be thinking about disability, but when someone with a disability comes into a hotel or a restaurant, does it force a larger conversation? I think it does. And I think a lot of the parents that I spoke to did say that they felt that travel makes their child a global citizen, but it also educates the world about what autism and invisible disabilities look like. Hmm. Some parents bring along little cards. If their child uh, goes into meltdown, that just explains what's going on. Uh, and I think that because of what's going on now in tourism, say with signage, like you can go down to uh, SeaWorld and you'll see a sign that says beyond this point, this is what you're going to smell. Or you'll see different areas that are designated as uh, low sensory areas. And that educates, it's becoming more commonplace that those things are available and anything that's more commonplace, we're sort of uh, conditioned to accept, I believe. Hmm. Give us, or give me rather, a roadmap to the books. If I were to open this up, what all would I find? 
I start with talking about um, the different conditions that might affect some of the readers so that people without children with invisible disabilities can have a brief understanding of what that's all about. And I'll talk about introducing the concept of travel, how to prepare, and uh, then I go into breaking it down to how to get there, whether that's air, car, train, bus, or cruise, and then where you stay when you get there, whether that's a hotel, a vacation rental, a houseboat, uh, or a, a resort. And then I talk about once you're there, what you do, because you're not going to spend all your time in the hotel. So tours and um, special interest museums so you can create a child-centric holiday around your child's special interests. I wanted to ask you about the theater because a lot of people like to take the theater in. If you go to London, you want to go to the West End. If you go to New York, you want to go and watch a show on Broadway. How do you negotiate that as a parent? You don't want to um, deprive your child of the experience of going to the theater. It is something to see a show on Broadway, but at the same time, you don't, you're worried about being called out if your child has a meltdown. Well, that's a good point and one that was totally not covered in the book because I think people know their own child. And if you know that your child's not going to be able to sit for two hours, perhaps that's the day that you get a sitter and you go with your uh, significant other and you see the show and maybe arrange for the child uh, to do something special earlier in the day or another day to make it up to them that they couldn't go. Uh, I had a child who sat through the Nutcracker and... Um, it was a local production and uh, about five minutes in, gritted her teeth and said, get me out of here. <laughs> and we spent the rest of the time because we had gone with other people. We spent the rest of the time in, in the area where the food was because that was I was not going to force my child to sit through something that she didn't want to sit through. Uh, and we didn't really go to many shows again until she was older. She did love um, when she was older, we went to... Um, uh, now I can't can't remember Mamma Mia, and we went to uh, <laughs> the Book of Mormon, which she absolutely adored, uh, and even uh, Hedvig and the Angry Itch because she's sort of uh, she likes unusual and controversial shows, but mm. it's certainly nothing I would have tackled when she was younger after that first experience. You have to know your kid, and you can't force a square peg into a round hole. Mm. Speaking about forcing square pegs into round holes, how, I mean, we talked about planning a few minutes earlier on the program. How important is it to get your kid involved with the actual planning of the vacation and to think about the things that they might want to do? Very important. And I, I, I do indicate that to create a child centric vacation, you can offer the child options of where the vacation is going to be, um, maybe offer three options that if you that's been pre approved by you so that none of them are wrong answers. Same thing with what you're going to do each day, come up with some different ideas and get their buy in, because then they have a vested interest in the holiday, ha get them involved in helping to pack what toys they're going to bring, what clothes they're going to bring, maybe give them a backpack if they're able to carry it with the things they want to bring with them. And always schedule the pacing around what they can handle. Instead of trying to cram in five or think six different venues each day, it's maybe one or two stops and then the afternoon by the pool or uh, in front of the TV or whatever your child's going to enjoy. Because by making the trip enjoyable for them, you're going to create a good uh, memory. By trying to force them to do what you want to do is not going to end up very well. 
Uh, and also, like I mentioned before, if they have special interests, seek out a special interest museum that will let them, you know, fuel that passion. Hmm. Your book is uh, titled Traveling Different, Vacation Strategies for the Parents of the Anxious, the Inflexible, and the Neurodiverse. Now, Don, even as we've talked, I can't help but feel that a lot of what you're saying would apply to just about anybody, even if their child isn't on the spectrum or isn't neurodiverse. How widely applicable would you say the tips in the book are to parents who might be traveling with young children? I think that what I discovered is that the special needs travel tips can help every family travel because how can you go wrong with getting your child's buy-in on a vacation, giving them some element of control, or at least that they see as that they've had control, uh, over-preparing, letting them know what's coming since all children love to know uh, what's happening and have some level of predictability. You can't go wrong with any of these tips. So I truly feel that it applies across the board to all families. Don, it was nice chatting with you. It was, uh, I really feel like the time has flown by. Happy traveling to you. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Don is the author of a forthcoming book, Traveling Different, Vacation Strategies for Parents of the Anxious, the Inflexible, and the Neurodiverse. The book is published by Roman and Littlefield Publishers and will be out on August 15th if you want to get your copy. We've got a couple minutes to wrap up the program. Let me bring in a avid traveler and globetrotter. That is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Nasreen, you've traveled a lot. Tell me a little bit about what your experience has been like. My experience is that we always have an itinerary with our family. My, mm. my mom always prepares an itinerary when we're traveling and we're trying to be so ready. But things come up, Joita, at the end of the day that you just can't control. Um, there's so many things that pop up that, you know, you were so prepared for. You're like, OK, if this happens, if that happens. But I feel like at the end of the day, there's not much there's not much you can do about it. I mean, over preparation is that a thing yeah it is a thing and you yeah. know i find it's funny you should say that your mom did all the planning and had the itinerary for the family because that's what my mom did too so you go moms because i think a certain amount of planning goes a long way just in making sure you know what to expect and you know i think uh the book is really touching on an area that we don't talk about very much. I think we've covered a lot about the traveling hazards of being someone visually impaired, you get turned around, you go in the wrong direction, or mm -hmm. even being someone in a wheelchair and having your equipment damaged, lost or broken, really big issues. But when you start to talk about kids who are on the autism spectrum, or kids who are neurodiverse, or just yes. inflexible, what you predominantly hear, even anecdotally, is ma'am get your kid under control or why is your kid you know having a meltdown in the airport and i think this book and the conversation that we had with don is really going to help to spread some public awareness i think we would all do much better as travelers if we just learned to be patient i have found in, in airports especially when there are delays people get very stressed out they get very upset and they take it mm -hmm. out on fellow passengers and they take it out on the staff at the airports not okay guys remember that everybody's coming to traveling from very different places and a parent of a child with a disability has as much right as the next person to travel Absolutely. and you know at least in my life my parents have gotten some variation of 
what's wrong with her eyes, which can really take away from someone's enjoyment of a holiday. So also just thinking about how you approach conversations about disability, or if you have questions, yeah, just be mindful of the fact that someone is on vacation, they're not necessarily there to satisfy your curiosity. And yet, if you are curious, there's a right way and a wrong way to ask that question as we sort of, uh, we had that conversation last week with Emily about her book, Demystifying Mm -hmm. Disability. So asking that question in the right way is so important. Nasreen, are you um, the last minute packer or you packed a week before you're ready to go? A week before. I get so excited that I keep unpacking and packing again. (laughs) That's just the type of person I am. Um, I am the packer for our family. So I pack towards the end of our vacation. I always pack the day before and maybe I should try to pack um, a little bit like further out from the actual departure date. But I put it off. I put it off because it's not just I'm not just packing for myself. I'm also packing for my husband. So you run the risk there of, yeah, you run the risk of forgetting to pack something for the other person. And he's like, what, where are my running shoes? It's like, um, I don't know, I guess they're at home. So I, 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 I have a bit of a fear of, of forgetting to pack something for my husband. Uh, but I find with most things, you can actually just buy something if you've forgotten. So I try to manage my anxiety yeah. about packing uh, as much as I can. The thing that really stresses me out is the security check at airports, I, I do not know if there's a tip or a trick or a strategy to make that any less stressful. No. But I find that people get very anxious when they see my white cane, and they don't know what to do with that. And, you know, just negotiating that with people has been uh, interesting, to say the least. <laughs> Good gabbing with you about this. Thanks a lot for chatting with me today. Thank you. That was all the time we had today for The Pulse. Nisreen Abdul-Majid is my wing woman and also the technical producer of the program. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. If you have any questions, concerns, or compliments, you can always write to him. You can write us an email, write to feedback at ami.ca, or you can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio and use the hashtag PulseAMI. I hope you've enjoyed this program. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got any story pitches or ideas about future programming, do let us know. And of course, as I said, on behalf of Nasreen, I'm Joy Gupta. I've been your host. Enjoy the rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.